welcome back to the Blushy Boys podcast. BlushyBoys.com is your home for all things Detroit Tigers baseball on the SB Nation platform. Let's get the show underway. Welcome back, everyone. This is the Blushy Boys podcast. We are your home on SB Nation for all your Detroit Tigers needs. I'm here with Ashley McLennan. Ashley, how are we doing this evening? Uh, freezing. Absolutely freezing. Freezing. Oh, no. I don't know what it's like in <laughs> Michigan right now, but in Manitoba, it has been... I, I got to translate this. I can't remember how to do this in Fahrenheit. Um, <laughs> it's been real cold. Um, I think it was like... What was it? Like minus 20. Yeah, and then okay. it was like minus 30-something Fahrenheit with the wind chill. Wow. Um Push it past the minus 40 mark for us. Well, that's what it would be, minus 40. That's the universal. Um, yeah. That's the one that's the same across. It's been very cold here this week. Um, yeah, so, yeah. Um, the, the, the universal language is, it's been friggin' cold. Yeah, so <laughs> it's been uh, very much me looking forward to having spring training start so I can look at pictures of sunshine and t-shirts and uh, think of green grass and baseball. Yeah, yep. I mean, we we all got hit with the old uh, polar vortex here. It hasn't been that cold here, but it's been yeah, it's been like between ten and fifteen. But it's still almost like too cold for us to even get much snow. Um, we're just getting it kind of like here and there. But uh, but yeah, I was doing a radio interview today, and they're you know asking me about spring training, and I'm thinking about spring, and I look out the window, and there's just like a blizzard blowing sideways past my window. I was like, oh yeah, <laughs> that time of year, yeah. we yeah. definitely got to look ahead. My my opinion is like in terms of weather is that you should be allowed to be cold, or it can be snowing, but it should never be allowed to be both. And yesterday we had both, and I was furious. Yeah, I'm much happier with the like high twenties, low thirties Fahrenheit, and and snowy. You know, like yeah. a foot of snow yeah. on the ground, like that. That's winter to me, but we don't we don't get too much of that anymore. It's either just like kind of rainy and dreary, um, like it, like we live in Seattle or something, or it's bone chilling cold and there's no snow. Yeah, so that's where we are. We had we got so lucky. Like December and January were really quite nice here, so it was uh, I don't know, it was uh, a bit of a hard pill to swallow <laughs> in the real yep. cold stuff again. Yeah, it's like, you know, you can't complain because we have had like a super mellow winter, and I mean, I haven't even seen like kind of a wild winter in about six or seven years really um being old enough to remember what winter used to be like so yeah <laughs> that hasn't been bad but yeah it's still kind of grim out there yeah oh, just old dear. guy old guide you yeah yeah that's fine We're i remember back old. in the yeah, i remember back in the day let me tell you about the 80s yeah i was also alive in the 80s <laughs> barely <laughs> seven years worth of them thank you yeah yeah um I'm I'm still gonna think of you as a '90s kid. So, oh bless. That's no. That's when I was in my teens. So I think that's fair. Um, yeah. I think like my form- that was the sweet spot for you. My right there. formative years were very '90s. Like my favorite music is all still '90s music, and um, all these new trends that are coming back on the TikTok uh, <laughs> yeah. are very familiar to me. So I feel right at home with the Gen Zs right now. Yeah, well, I noticed, like, I've, I've always had a tendency to, like, play, like, an old guy character, maybe just from, like, liking Dana Carvey's, like, angry old man on Saturday Night Live when I was a kid. But yeah. now when I do it, it's not funny anymore. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like no, one gets, no one gets the irony when I refer to TikTok as, you know, that TikTok and the Snap Widget, the, the whatever else all these kids are on. Everybody's like, oh, yeah, the old guy just doesn't get it. And I'm like, no, it's a joke. <laughs> oh, no, I'm still with it, I swear. Yep. <laughs> So yeah, in, in terms of looking towards spring, we did finally get the um, the schedule. It, it feels like the protocols are set, uh, such as they are, seems and like uh, we're baseball. Yep, seems like we're ready to launch. So the Tigers will kick off the 2021 season on April 1st. Hopefully, that's not an April Fool's Day joke. But, yeah. um, that'll be the home opener against the Cleveland Indians, and then um, yeah, have a day off, and then play Cleveland that weekend, and then Minnesota for three games after. So kind of nice to start at home for six games um i still don't really know what the the fan situation is going to look like i don't don't know if you've heard any more about that but uh, but it seems like there's going to be some training i know what they're talking about doing for for the regular season is pods um kind of similar to what they did for the postseason last year so they would sell tickets in groups of two four and six with a minimum of six feet in between the pods um, and mandatory mask wearing, obviously, within all stadium grounds, unless you're eating or drinking, um, is what they've 
they've kind of suggested and I think will will be the path that gets taken because obviously teams want fans in and they want to do it safely but they want those people there so yeah yeah they need that need that gate um even though it's you know it's it's a declining part of the overall revenue picture for major league teams but it's still substantial and um obviously like it just doesn't feel like baseball quite yeah. without uh, yeah. without the fans in the stands so, and um so I, I think our new president apparently just uh just purchased another 300 million doses eh? of uh can't remember which which vaccine, but um, obviously, like you know, it's more about getting it out to people has, has been the problem thus far. But uh, hopefully, we'll get that rolling here, and uh, by the end of uh, March, be in be in much better shape than we are. Yeah, I think I, I haven't heard specifically about spring training, but I'm looking at the way they're doing stuff like basketball and hockey for some groups, yeah. and it's it's like a limited capacity, right? So 20% capacity, and I think for a lot of the stadiums in the the grapefruit and, and cactus leagues, that kind of approach would make the most sense. Obviously, you still have to to space people out and probably continue with the pod model, um, but I think if you you know did 20 30% capacity of those little stadiums, you could probably pull it off. Yeah. Yep, it should should be doable. And yeah, I mean, yeah, the minor league season is going to start, you know, probably in in May and yeah, like by then, you know, hopefully they'll they'll be all right as well cuz obviously yeah, the minor league teams need that gate even mm-hmm. more or or there is no minor league baseball. So, um yeah, we've got a couple, you know, a couple signings have happened this week. I was thinking back to like the last podcast we did um during the postseason and we were both kind of talking about our hopes for you know, the Tigers picking up a real bat or two sometime along the way. And then uh, right around this time of year, like, you know, being being the team that has the playing time to be able to go ahead and pick up like a couple more like actually semi-interesting, you know, cheap pickups on, on short deals or minor league deals that you can actually like, you know, find a couple guys who have upside, which has been something we've been frustrated with the Tigers the past couple years for kind of just picking sort of like consistent but but no upside type veterans and that sort of thing. And um, Uncle Al, in his, his sly fashion, has, <laughs> has worked his way into a few deals this week, over the last week. Um, they picked up Jonathan Scope again, which, um, and got him, you know, a little cheaper than they, they had last year. And it felt like, you know, Jonathan Scope was a, a pretty, uh, pretty strong leadership component to the team over the past year. Um, seems like he was good on that score. He's uh, a good defender at second base. Seems like he has some versatility. And obviously when he's, when he's going good, he's a streaky hitter who can hit you a bunch of home runs. So, um, overall, what were your, uh, what were your thoughts about bringing him back? Do you think it's worthwhile considering that there's, there's kind of a, a surfeit of, uh, of, no, I, I liked it. I know types on the uh, roster Jay right now, Markle but our, he gives you a little something different than the rest. This, I, would say. I know he was was very concerned at how excited I was for the return of Jonathan Scope. Um, and I don't think it was a matter of me thinking that Scope is like the best player out there or the best guy <laughs> we can get. I really felt that there was nobody that immediately came to mind for me as being a strong contender to take that 2B, that 2B, ugh, I'm trying to say second base and 2B at the same time, and it's messing with my mouth, to take over that second base role on a day-to-day basis. And I think that he <laughs> is kind of like a perfect one-year candidate, right? A kind of guy that can bridge that gap while you look at those kind of utility guys or the infield guys that we have in the minor system, even the guys that are starting to come up slowly and kind of be moved around the infield. Um, I think it's a good year to bring a guy like that back. I wanted them to bring back CJ Crone as well. I don't think that's going to happen now that they've got Nunez. Um, I think that they've made some interesting decisions that are definitely not long-term pickups, except perhaps with no Marmazara, who's been an interesting... I know that's a one-year deal, but he's only 25. Um, he's an interesting... So I know we haven't gotten there yet. Sorry, I'm jumping ahead of myself. But... <laughs> Uh, scope, I think was was interesting. I I'm not mad at it. I think no, it was no, a good, all, yeah, smart that's all right. Move. Yep. We'll, we'll um, it wouldn't have been the first sign back from last year's team that I would have done. That would have been Crone, but um, I, I'm not at all upset by it. I think it's a decent enough move. Whether or not it's exciting, I think is a different question. But he's he's shown himself to be pretty good still since leaving Baltimore, and I think that that's a a, a quality pickup yeah. for Al at a not bad price at all. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess the thing with Crone is that we just don't really know, you know, kind of how mm-hmm. things are going with the knee and the rehab there. Um, so that there's some uncertainty there. But yeah, as far as scope goes, he does give you, you know, at least sort of a known factor um, to to plug in somewhere in the top five in the lineup. And you kind of know what you're going to get there, which is not really the case for, for just about anybody else that we're going to be um, we're going to be playing next year. So he's he's a little bit of a 
a solid known quantity that, yeah, you know, I think is, will be productive and, you know, might even be able to, um, to be flipped if he's, if he's, you know, just on a, on a good run in the summer, um, swinging the bat well, you know, they might be able to turn him over to a different team and, and get a little bit of a prospect return back as they look to say, you know, plug Isak Paredes or, you know, maybe they, maybe mm-hmm. Nico Goodrum is swinging the bat well and they're content to give him more time. So, yeah, I mean, I think overall, um, that move is pretty good, and that yeah, and that kind of brings us to the two sort of um, sort of flyers that they've taken this week, um, which was signing Renato Nunez to a minor league contract, and then today, um, just not too long before the show went live, or or we're recording the show because it's not Thank live. <laughs> um, Nomar Mazzara, for, yeah, former um, Texas Ranger. Um, was traded to the White Sox last year and didn't really have a very good year with the bat, but was also, you know, I think he was sick with, you know, right before the season and just kind of never got on track there. Um, and the, the numbers from the 2020 season are kind of suspect oh, yeah. in, in all ways, whether they were good or bad for people, because it was just such an odd, you know, set of circumstances. So, I mean, both those guys have, you know, big time, raw power, um, a lot of contact issues, and neither one of them is, is particularly useful defensively, but Mazzara plays right field, has a decent arm, and Nunez has, has played third base, um, and who knows, maybe he's a little more versatile than we'd think, but um, is probably going to be, you know, penciled in at first base every day, I would think, and then, you know, they'll probably yeah. just mix Mazzara in in the outfield. I, I, I see Nunez as probably the everyday first baseman if he does well in spring training. Um, it, it makes the most sense. I think you can't seriously consider having Miggy out there every day. Um, it's just, it's at this point, it's just setting them up for disaster. If they do that, like his his leg will fall apart. Um, so I think, I don't know, Mazar is an interesting kind of pickup to me. He's a pretty regular, almost 20 home run a season kind of guy. Uh, playing almost every yeah. day for the Rangers. And, I mean, like you said, it's not Hall of Fame numbers here by any means, but he's a pretty, like, decently average. I know that's not an exciting way to phrase it for anybody, but he's a, a pretty, yeah, decently average, I think is the, the the nicest way I can say it. But still, like, I say it with a little bit of excitement. Like, he's really not bad. Last year, notwithstanding, I mean, he's hitting around 250, 260 every year and, you know, just kind of just below that that 100 mark in OPS plus. I can't pull up his WRC plus because Fangraphs is broken. Oh, I've got it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's been like to look back to like 2018, 2019, it was yeah. um, 95 and, and 94. Yeah. So that's, you know, that's about where we'd expect. Um, I mean, he's got the power to be like a 30, 35 home run guy. I don't think anyone doubts that he has almost Joey Gallo level, like raw power, um, just doesn't make enough hard contact. Um, yeah, ha- has some swing issues. Um, doesn't, doesn't really walk that much and all that stuff kind of depresses his value. But, um, but that's the kind of project that you'd like to turn over to, you know, a new coaching staff. I mean, they've got Scott Coolbaugh, they've got, um, Jose Cruz Jr., um, who seems like he's going to be kind of an assistant hitting coach. Um, he's also the father of Trey Cruz, who the Tigers drafted in 2020 um, in the third round, which is kind of interesting. But, um, but yeah, it's like you know, that's the kind of guy you want to give a, a new staff, you know, to, to just sort of, you know, work with and see if they can, you know, just, just find a little key to unlock a little bit more. Because if he just made a little bit more hard contact, he has the, the force multipliers and that power to um, – to really kind of, you know, take a jump and actually be a fairly useful player. So um, that's the kind of, you know, that's the kind of cheap signing that we've, that we've wanted to see is, is guys that do, you know, still have some upside who are still young, um, who might kind of figure it out because yeah, I mean, Mazzara came up, I think he was 19 at the time, maybe, maybe 20. Um, they plugged him into the lineup really, really aggressively. And, you know, when you struggle and you're that young, um, you know, you just may not really ever have a chance to, to reset and, and work on some things. So, um, I don't want to get anybody too excited. He's probably just the guy that he is, but, um, but the guy that he is might be, you know, fairly effective, especially if you're, you know, kind of mix and matching him with, you know, Victor Reyes a little bit in right field or, or whatever. And he's not out there mm-hmm. playing literally every day while you're also mm-hmm. trying to work on his swing and approach and stuff like that. So yeah, not a bad, not a bad move at all. And then, um, yeah, as far as Nunez goes, I mean, kind of a similar thing, except that he's actually cashed in a lot more of that, that power over the past couple of years. I think he's hit 
something like 61 or 62 home runs in his last thousand plate appearances, which is um, less than two seasons worth of, of full-time play. Yeah, he hit 31 home runs in 599 plate appearances back in 2019, um, hit 12 this year in just 52 games. So that's big time, big time home run power right there, um, which this, this offense could certainly use. And, um, and yeah, over the last three seasons, 101 WRC plus, 100 WRC plus, and a 120 WRC plus in 2020. So um, that's, you know, pretty solid production. It's, I, I think a lot of people were kind of surprised that he was just, you know, cut loose by the Orioles and, and just hanging out there available because, you know, he's, he's got contact issues. He doesn't get on base. Great. But that's a lot of power. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, decent, decent numbers here for these two pickups and cheap. Like we're talking like Nunez on a minor league deal. And, uh, and Mazzara was one seven, five, I think for the one year deal. So mm-hmm. really, I mean, I'm not mad at any of this because it's not, it doesn't show the Tigers have a willingness to spend, but it also shows that I think they're willing to take some interesting, I don't want to call them risks, but interesting opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, something that they, they really haven't done. Um, you know, when you're a terrible team and you don't have any expectations, you know, the one thing that's on your side is that you can just try try anyone. And too often it's just kind of been like, mediocre veterans or sort of, you know, guys in their late 20s who never quite made it, you know, like the Brandon Dixons, the John Hickses, you know, they, they spent more time than was necessary probably probably on guys like that. So getting two guys who are, you know, 25 and 26 who've shown legit home run power in the major leagues, um, just just much better bargain type shopping, I think, um, this offseason than we've seen the past couple. So at least on the um, on the offensive side. So yeah, that's, um, that's, you know, not exciting, um, but uh, and and not not really what we were hoping for this off season. I think I don't know how, how you felt, but I was really really hoping that they would at least try to do one thing, like try to do yeah. get one good bat in there. Um, Robbie I, Robbie Grossman's you know a, a solid pickup too. He's got some upside. I, I like that pickup, but you know, I'm still out here trying to write up like, come on, Tigers, <laughs> just call on Trevor Story, would you? Just see, just find out. I don't know. I'm I'm with you. Like I think I would have liked to see something that that shone in a like a, a, a direction of being long term. Yeah. Like an investment piece. But at the same time, I look at I mean, you know I gotta compare it to the Rays. And I look at how well <laughs> they do with guys like Randy Rosarena that nobody really considered or that like they were just kind of their kind of guys. Like Manuel Margot is kind of being overshadowed in in the Padre system and and nobody saw the Randy that we saw in the postseason coming. And I, I'm not saying that I think the Tigers are going to be able to develop guys in that same direction, but I think teams are starting to to kind of look at these under the radar guys who've done fairly well but have never been stars. Yeah. And part of me wants to think that that's a smart adjustment in what they're doing. Like you said, it's not old veterans anymore. It's not these kind of hope we hope we can flip him mid-season kind of guys. It's guys that might actually be worth developing into something. And I know they're not like prospect age anymore, but I kind of see some interesting shifts in mentality with these pickups. Um, that I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm uh, not excited, but <laughs> I'm cautiously optimistic. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like we're excited to have baseball back. So, you know, whatever we all, we all know, <laughs> knew we weren't, uh, we weren't contending this year, you know, or, or going to be a 500 team, but it's just a, a matter of like giving us people who, if it works out and goes, goes according to plan, you might actually be able to keep around, um, who might actually have real trade value as well. I mean, if Nomar Mazzara, you know, gets out to a really good start over the first half and we've only got, a, I think he's a free agent, you know, as of next year. Um, you know, that might be someone who a team would actually like decide they want to trade for um, just because he's, you know, he's always had that potential. There was a reason why the, the White Sox picked him up last year, despite having an absolutely monster lineup, um, you know, because a lot of teams look at him and think, you know, there's a guy who if you could just just get a little bit more out of him uh, because of the power, he could actually blossom into a really good, you know, like power hitting Kyle Schwarber ish type type hitter. So. Uh, yeah mm-hmm. yeah so the upside isn't huge but um but yeah definitely more interesting um so we'll take that and now you know we we kind of look around the infield and you've got 
a lot of versatility. Like you don't really have mm-hmm. you don't really have a whole lot of upside there, but um but they've got switch hitters and Willie Castro, um Jamer Candelario, and then you've got Scope, you've got Nunez, um you've got Nico Goodrum who's gonna be presumably moving around. He's a switch hitter. Um Isaac Paredes will presumably get some time at some point, although it looks like he'll start at um triple A and, and kind of work on some things there, presumably. But um, but yeah, I mean it's it's a versatile lineup. You've got Reyes and Grossman who are both switch hitters. Um, Nunez and and uh, Mazzara both have a lot of at least raw power. So yeah, I mean there's at least there's kind of an interesting lineup there for AJ Hinch to kind of work with and um, you know kind of show his uh, ability to mix and match a little bit. And you know at least there's some weapons for him to to try to squeeze the most out of rather than yeah just sort of like you know the. No offense to Harold Castro, I know he gets bagged on a lot, but just the Harold Castros, you know, of the world who just don't really even have that power upside that could, and defensive ability on either way to um, to possibly turn into a good player. So, yeah, overall, I'd say you know th- these moves are fine um, and and a little bit more appealing than most of the small scale moves. Um, as was you know the decision to uh, to sign Wilson Ramos. I mean, I think. You know, at least getting a catcher who, yeah, he he isn't the defensive guy that that we would necessarily like, but um, even compared to Austin Romine, he's he's a better offensive player and kind of pairs better with someone like Jake Rogers, who will be sort of the, you know, the air incumbent um, defensive specialist who we hope will hit enough to stick around. I know, I'm I'm sure we will though. I, I'm pretty. I hope so. I'm pretty convinced that they just wanted to let him keep working on all the swing changes because it does sound like he's made some some real adjustments. Um, you know they've kind of done these scrums with a, a bunch of different players. Um, I saw them. I you know they've been hosted at the Free Press and the Detroit News and, and and elsewhere. I'm sure people can find them out there. But there've been interviews with a bunch of different guys. And yeah, I mean in talking to Rogers, it sounded like he you know he he had really put in a lot of work with um, Doug Lada, um, had spent some time already with Scott Coolbaugh because they both the new hitting coach because they both are um, kind of from the, the Fort Worth area. So. They've already, you know, been in touch and seen each other a little bit. So he's, you know, he's putting in the time on that. And I, I you know, I, I still thought it was weird that they didn't give him his shot this year. But I really think they just kind of wanted to let Grayson Griner just, like, prove it one way or the other. Like, you know, this is this is your chance to, you know, either seize a job or, or that's it. Because Griner, you know, is, I think, 28 now and, you know, has never really been, you know, regarded as much of a prospect. So it was just sort of like his last chance fling and um you know gave rogers a little bit of space to work so i you know i don't know how it's going to go at all but uh but i'm pretty pretty confident that you're going to see a lot of jake rogers this year one way or the other and um, he'll finally get his chance to sink or swim do you want to talk a little pakoda because pakoda does not love us yeah yeah i, I always hate this time of year as far as the projections <laughs> <laughs> but yeah yeah we should talk a little pakoda absolutely uh so current pakoda standings have the tigers obviously dead last in the al central which i don't agree with quite frankly uh, maybe now it might be a little bit more right with andrew benintendi signing with the royals i don't know uh but the royals up until that point really hadn't made a lot of interesting moves this offseason and i thought the tigers had done small increments to make themselves a little bit better and they the Pakoda standings which if you don't know are the the baseball prospectus kind of analytical view of how a team is projected to do um, based on a lot of individual math on their players and other factors um, has the Tigers winning 66 to 67 games and losing 95 ish um, kind of depending it's not an exact number but having about a 4-1-1 on the season um, not great Great, not the worst in all of baseball. Uh, the Pirates and the Rockies are looking relatively dismal by their calculations, looking for about 60, 61 wins, which in yep. re- real world baseball terms means one of those teams is going to win about 45 games. Um, but I, I feel like the Tigers deserve a little bit more credit. I, I would put them above Kansas City just in my own mental ranking. Um, what do you think? Right now, I mean, honestly, I would give it to the Royals somewhat, somewhat comfortably, but it just kind of comes down to whether or not the Tigers, you know, young pitching, you know, has, has a a sizable impact this year because, you know, the Royals have some, some pretty talented young pitchers in there. Um, They did pick up Carlos Santana uh, to play first base, um, which gives them kind of a veteran bat there. And then, yeah, trading for Andrew Benintendi um, gives them a, you know, another corner outfielder who's, who's got a little bit of upside. Um, you know, Ben kind of had a rough, you know, last two seasons really. 
and hasn't lived up to that early promise. But um, I heard him talking about, you know, how the, the, the Red Sox had really tried to, you know, tried to build more loft into his swing and were trying to turn him into more of a power player. And he's just not really that kind of guy. Like he, he's, he's an Alex Gordon type, um, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's probably the, mm-hmm. the type of game or Brett Gardner, maybe is more, more specifically like Andrew Benintendi, but that's, yeah, that's the type of guy he should be. So um, we'll see, you know, if, if he kind of works out for them there and Carlos Santana hasn't, um, hasn't hit a wall um, at age 34 or 35 or whatever he is, uh, I, you know, I think they're going to have the better offense. You know, they've got Hunter Dozier, they've got um, Edelberto Mondesi at shortstop who is still kind of waiting to put it together, but is still young. So, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a little bit more talented team um, offensively and defensively, I think. And it's just a question of whether or not, yeah, you know, if, if Chris Fetter can get a little bit more out of guys like Turnbull, um, turn Boyd around. And if, you know, yeah, Mize and Scooble and maybe Manning can, can, can contribute there. So, um, but you know, I I wouldn't real be real confident about putting a lot of money on either the Tigers or the Royals um, in, in, in that bet as to which one is going to beat each other. I think it's, yeah, it's kind of a toss up and it'll probably have a lot to do with, um, you know, how well each pitching staff holds up because it's, it's just going to be such a grind this year um, with guys on, on strict pitch, you know, well, maybe not pitch counts specifically. I guess we'll see how they manage that, but there's definitely going to be a lot of tight innings restrictions on guys and, that's going to put more pressure on bullpens. Um, I don't know. The Tigers bullpen had a lot of pressure on them in 2020 as well, because no one seemed to be able to go more than three or four innings at a time. Um, so maybe they're comfortable with that already, but, uh, but yeah, it's going to be a, uh, it's going to be a real marathon, a real endurance test, I think, um, which explains, you know, picking up, you know, major league veterans like Erasmo Ramirez and um, Derek Holland to kind of stash in Toledo or, or possibly compete for a bullpen role um, this spring. Hopefully they'll they'll do some more of that because the Tigers need some more pitching. Um, I love, you know, Matt Shoemaker or Taiwan Walker, but um, but one way or the other, they're, they're going to need to find some other innings um, elsewhere. I think because beyond the big boys, you know, the Tigers farm system doesn't have a lot of upper level pitching talent. When you have Joey Wentz and Alex Fajardo still recovering from Tommy John surgery, um, Franklin Perez being a complete, you know, who knows if, if he's going to pitch or what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so hopefully they they can uh, pick up another depth piece at least um, along the way here in the next couple of weeks. And, you know, just, just based on how things have gone the last couple of days, I think we're starting to see the dam break where, you know, get, you know, for the most part, all these free agents are going to see the writing on the wall. Um, you know, the, the big ones are pretty much out of the way. And everybody else is just going to be fighting for a job and, and taking what's offered over the next you know week or so. So hopefully the Tigers can, you know, take advantage of that and find themselves um, a bullpen arm and maybe another another starter, um, especially if they can find someone who they can stash um, at, in, at the minor league level and get on a minor league deal, you know, with one of those deals where it's like, OK, if we don't call you up by, you know, the end of April, we'll release you, that sort of thing. So we'll be looking forward to uh, to all those kind of small scale moves going on, I'm sure, over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I mean, we're at the point now where people are just looking to have a team to play with at all, um, just so you don't get rusty until next free agent season. So I could definitely see a couple more one-year signings of, of some fairly decent, well, I mean, decent-ish bullpen arms. Yeah. I mean, it'll be really interesting to see if, you know, if if things change at the, ne- the next CBA, like however it works out, whether or not there's a strike or whatever. But will things go back to a little bit more of a of a normal flow when people know sort of what to expect, you know, for four or five years? Because that uncertainty really does seem to, especially with teams crunching numbers as hard as they are now, that really seems to have played into, you know, this really long delayed off season where you know you don't even see a lot of the 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 key players come off the board until late January, and then it's just like this total frenzy, and. <laughs> at the beginning of February and then all these people have to move, um, you know, shout out to, uh, all the MLB, you know, wives and girlfriends out there who, uh, no doubt end up <laughs> doing most of the organization and, uh, and lifting on that score. Cause yeah, that's, that's gotta suck to have to like suddenly like figure out what you're going to do with your family, um, you know, in mid February. Yeah, so, yeah. so hopefully yeah, for, for all the family's sake out there, things will um, go back to a little bit more of a normal pattern once we, once we get past the CBA, but I think we're all scared to see how that goes as well. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. I mean, just watching the way things have gone with discussion of extended playoffs and, you know, pushing the season back a month and all of those discussions has just been nightmarish. Like there's yep. no budging at all. So it's, uh, it's going to 
Be interesting. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and, um, you know, we've seen, there have been a couple interesting, like, hints of, of deals. I mean, the, the reason why I wrote the Trevor Story piece, obviously, was because the St. Louis Cardinals picked uh, Nolan Arenado up for freaking peanuts, nothing, basically. Nothing, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and, um, you know, and, and that might be a one-year deal because he can opt out after this year and he can opt out after next year. But, you know, there's also the chance that they've got a, a very inexpensive Nolan Arenado um, for seven years now with, you know, the Rockies paying part of his salary this year and next year, and then paying all of his salary for the the year that they added on. I mean, you know, I mean, that's just giving him away and obviously he wanted out of there, but, um, but yeah, when you see, when you see that stuff, I mean, the Rockies are are in bad shape now. And now you have to assume that if I was Trevor story, I want the hell out of there um, immediately. So yeah, that's how, that's how that all came together. But yeah, it's just, uh, it's definitely a story of the, the few teams that are trying and then a lot of other teams that just are absolutely not, do, not doing anything or actively um, shooting themselves in the foot to, uh, to get cheaper. So it's been kind of a drag on that score once again. Except for the Dodgers who are all like, money limits, what are those? Yeah, Trevor Bauer, come on down. Oh, God, that contract. That's disgusting. The, <laughs> he's getting paid more for a year than the entire Indians roster. Yep, yep, it's true. And the Pirates roster. I think there might be three. I can't remember the third team, but I think there are three teams who Trevor Bauer is going to make more than the entire team this year. Yeah, it's gross. It's uh, it's not, not okay. I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> about it. I'm like, the, the thing is, I mean, I'm not, we've talked about Trevor Bauer a lot, and I'm trying to talk about Trevor Bauer less because he kind of sucks. But he's, I mean, he's a good pitcher. Nobody's questioning that. But he's not a pitcher that's worth the highest per year contract in baseball history. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's totally true. Um, but it also just kind of illustrates, like, the, the way te- teams are thinking about these things now, where they just do not want you know, anything on the books long-term, you know, anything that might turn into dead money. Um, you know, they'd rather pay Trevor Bauer 40 million, you know, a season for two years than have to lock him into, you know, like a seven year, you know, whatever it is, $200 million deal. They just don't want to do that. And because of that, I mean, it's worth it to them to just throw just stupid amounts of money at him, um, you know, for one year. And he's, you know, and he's, you know, of course, willing to take it and, you know, kind of make a, I don't, well, whatever. We don't have to get into it, but try to make kind of a circus out of his free agency and like, I don't know, their attempts to build like a little hype machine over there have been have been kind of sad. But uh, but for whatever it works, you know, a lot of people don't like Trevor Bauer. Um, I don't necessarily love Trevor Bauer either, but um, he's not hurting anybody particularly. And, you know, well, not physically, all right? I mean, this is baseball. As long as you're not, you know, beating up your girlfriend and stuff, I'm, you know, I'm giving you a pass. <laughs> I mean, I think, you know, actively harassing people on the internet isn't great. No, Um, it's lame. It is lame, for sure. I mean, a lot of it, you know, a lot of his his conduct has been, um, you know, extremely douchey and and childish. And, um, yeah, there's a lot of problems. A lot of problems with the the Bauer man. But, um, but anyway... I I think we've we've discussed him enough on this podcast. Yeah, no, I agree. I'm I'm into it. I'm over it. Let's just move on. And I also because um, Clayton Kershaw now has a ring, I I absolutely can loathe the Dodgers again and go back to just being like, eh, you know, screw them. I'm all in on the Padres in that division. Let's yeah. go. I don't know. I was I was a Dodgers fan for a while as my NL team. Uh, a lot of that was due in part to the fact that I once got to interview their head athletic trainer for a book I was writing. And she was fantastic, uh, really just a tremendous person. She got just kind of really got spoiled there. And that kind of experience definitely makes you like a team more. Um, and Dodger Stadium is just one of my favorite parks to be at. So, but yeah, yeah I think we're noticing something. And I, I, this came up because the other podcast that I'm on, um, baseball movie podcast called Who's Gone Worst, um, we were talking about the 2004 Red Sox. And we were talking about them and then we were talking about the 2016 Cubs we're talking about the Astros. And now I think we can kind of lump the Dodgers in is that there's this very noticeable heel turn with a lot of these teams where as soon as they've <laughs> yeah. won a, a victory after a long drought, they become insufferable. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like know, the, the Dodgers are very much on on course to doing that and i think we've seen it with those news and i i mean i am a cubs fan and for me to say it but it's it's true like they're they're nickel and diming players like chris bryant they're clearly trying to clear out the the you know 
the payroll right now. So it's it's hard to watch teams exceed and excel and win these victories that feel so good. Um, as, even if you're just watching them off to the sides. I mean, I was not happy about the Dodgers victory, obviously. But it's uh, it's amazing how quickly the turnaround happens now where you can go from being like, yeah, an underdog team or a team that struggled to win. And on, yeah, it's just... Yeah, I mean, it just becomes such a good story. You know, like, it's a, it's a big story because if the Yankees or, you know, or the Red Sox win, it's just like, oh, those guys, again, you know. But when you see, like, a scrappy, I mean, and it's hard to describe the Dodgers as scrappy, obviously, because they have a gigantic payroll. But, you know, they have a lot of likable players. I mean, I love Mookie Betts. I love Clayton Kershaw, you know, Bellinger, Seager. You know, there's a lot of guys that you can like over on that team. And then, you know, it just gets to this. And also, you know, they kind of got, you know, screwed over by, well, possibly by the Astros in 2017, whatever happened there um, with the the cheating scandal. So, you know, there was some sympathy for them. And obviously there was tons of sympathy for the Cubs. And it just, you know, it just like anything in our culture leads to a huge backlash because it becomes such a, you know, an overwhelming story. And all the writers and media people are fawning over themselves Mm -hmm. to make as much out of it as possible. And eventually it reaches a point where, yeah, it ends up just being irritating to everyone. And then, yeah, the team starts, you know, things don't hold up and the team starts tearing down or some of the players, you know, start getting, you know, start kicking back because they've they've already won. And there's some lack of effort or, you know, salary demands or disgruntlement. You know, it's just it's just the up and down rhythm of, of these things, I, I suppose, in general. But um, but yeah, the Dodgers are definitely now kind of off my list. I, I just I just wanted Clayton Kershaw to win a ring. He, he deserved a ring. Yeah. Best pitcher of the last 20 years. One of the greats of all time. Uh, and now that that's out of the way, yes, we can um, we can loathe them once again <laughs> because they are a huge payroll juggernaut. And on top of it, they're as good as the, as the Rays are at uh, drafting and developing. And, and that combination is just such a, such a monstrous juggernaut now. And now they got Trevor Bauer. Yeah. Now we can really hate them. Yeah. And Joe <laughs> Kelly, who I, who's another one who I like, I kind of like the the way Joe Kelly plays a heel. Um, oh, but he, he leans in. He, rel- like, he relishes. Yeah. I think that's the thing about Joe Kelly versus Trevor Bauer. Like they're both kind of terrible, but like Trevor Bauer enacts his terribleness online and like really like, in a wide audience, whereas Joe Kelly's the kind of guy that'll leave it all on the field. Yeah, Joe Kelly just goes about his, you know, his business one way or the other. You know, Trevor Bauer's trying to start some kind of, like, you know, barstool offshoot social media network with his agent. (laughs) I don't know what's going on over there. And it's just getting him hated by everybody anyway, so whatever. Except the people that love that shit. Oh, yeah. They're welcome welcome to it, I guess. Yeah, exactly, you know. So, So it goes. But, um... But yeah, you know, that, that's, that is just sort of the rhythm of things. Obviously, the Astros, you know, ha- have burned out and the Cubs are going down in flames, um, seemingly. And, you know, for a while, you know, until um, Steve Cohen got involved with the whole, you know, GameStop, you know, Wall Street bets situation, everybody was all excited about the Mets because it was all like, oh, the, you know, they're, you know they're, they've got a new owner. He's spending money. You know, they traded for Lindor. You know, mm-hmm. they've got Stroman in there now with DeGrom and Syndergaard's coming back. You know, this team's going to be super fun. And their owner's on there, you know, asking fans like, oh, are you happy about this? What did, you know, it was all like this perfect, uh, perfect setup for everyone to, you know, kind of pivot to the Mets. And then it was like, oh, yeah, but he also like, you know, runs this giant hedge fund and, you know, <laughs> was taking on, you know, like the small retail traders on Robinhood and everywhere else that were that were going. So. Yeah, these things can flip on a dime. You know, one one minute you're the you know you're the social media darling out there, and then the next minute you realize you just overexposed yourself, and everyone suddenly realized you know that you're you're not really on their side. <laughs> so yeah, that whole saga was, was just amusing, just amusing in general to uh, to watch unfold. So yeah, we'll see what happens. I mean, I don't know. I've been fascinated by the Mets. I think they still had a really good off season in general. Yeah, they really, uh, I think people yeah, are really, overlooking yeah. it because they missed out on, you know, George Springer. They missed out on Trevor Bauer. But I, I still think they've done like leaps and bounds to rebuild themselves since then, um, since the, where they were yep. last season. So, yeah, it's. Uh, yeah, just getting, you know, I mean, just getting Francisco Lindor, you know, it's just like, you know, that, that's uh, <laughs> that's a pretty good coup for, for an offseason. Um, bringing Stroman in again when you've got, you know. A pretty good core of pitching there already. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, 
kind of looking like it's going to be, you know, like I'm thinking about like, who do I, who do I like, you know, who, who do we think are going to win the divisions? And it's sort of like, you know, the Mets versus the Braves, um, the NL Central, it's like, you know, nobody really NL looks West. that good. NL West is going to be <laughs> terrifying with the Dodgers and the Padres, both yep, in the yep, West. Woo. That's, that's going to be, that's going to be where I pay a lot of attention outside of yeah. the AL. Um, Cause I think that's going to be just something really crazy the Rockies have basically just I mean you're right Trevor Story needs to get out because the Rockies have just said nope no we're not interested in doing anything so um bye yep, the Diamondbacks aren't really ready to you know aren't really ready to compete like the Giants you know the Giants might be sort of like how I'm looking at the Royals this year like you know there's there's sort of a chance that if some things come together the, the Giants could you know could be a 500 team and maybe even Maybe even if things went great, like be a little bit of a an outside shot for a, for a wild card, especially you know I, you know who knows maybe the, what the playoff <laughs> we don't even know what the playoff system is exactly going to look like because they still kind of want to negotiate that. So yeah, you never know yeah. they might be able to get in there. But yeah, it's definitely those two um, those the the two big boys um, in the NL West. And the other thing about you know the Dodgers and like my Dodgers fandom is that you know, writing stuff about the Tigers and, and paying a lot of attention to the Tigers, you know, when those games end, it was always like, okay, pivot on MLB TV out to the West Coast and see what's going on with, with the Giants and the Dodgers. And this year it's going to be pivot out to the, you know, see what the Padres are up to. So, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. so they're um, they're definitely going to be sort of at the top of my list. <clears throat> and then, yeah, as far as the AL goes, like, you know, I, I we'll get we'll get into more of um, some preview stuff on that as, as we get deeper into spring training but um you know we're sitting here now and it's only what six days six days till pitchers and catchers report which feels great not to report but for our first workouts first workouts will be on the 17th so they'll show up probably early next week uh, if they're not there already and um when we'll see full squad i think a week week or so after 22nd yeah that sounds right is the first, is the first full squad um, so obviously we're not going to get any video out of that, but I know a lot of social media teams have gotten, have gotten really good at like sharing stuff as it goes on, yeah. um, seeing more, more video, more pictures and stuff getting posted from there. And you know, we loves us a good short form at BYB. <laughs> so please expect to see a lot of that, yeah. um, kind of, kind of collected and put up there. Um, I, I used to, and this is just me and this is my fond memory as a former bless you boys reader. Um, is that my favorite time was like the first two or three weeks of spring training because the, the freep guys would always get down there and they'd be posting pictures every day of all the warm-ups and you know we would get to see the first little glimpses of spring training in action and seeing the players and that was always so exciting after such a long winter yeah you start seeing like the 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 kind of like the basis for the promotional content you know you're gonna see all year you know the players are doing their photo shoots and um you know filming little little clips for the fans and all that kind of stuff that'll be posted just just all that all that little ephemera and minutia that makes um you know the the winding up of the of the baseball season and and it's slowly starting to get underway so much fun um it just kind of has that that anticipatory feeling already you know we're we're we, almost there so we didn't get any truck day coverage this year though i was really heartbroken by that yeah you, usually you get like good old you know good old paws down to the clubhouse to help load some boxes into the truck and send it on its merry way. And I honestly, it's so stupid. It's one of my favorite days of the year. It's meaningless. There's nothing baseball related about it. It is literally just a bunch of equipment being loaded on a truck, but I look forward to it every year. And I was really sad it didn't happen this year. Yeah. It's just one of those little traditions. Right. Right. But there was no coverage. Yeah. Well, it's sort of like the rookie day, you know, thing, you know, it's just one of those days during the year where, where you just, you look forward to knowing there's just going to be some, you know, some goofy nonsense where you're going to get to yeah. see some personality out of the team and hopefully nothing too, uh, too douchey <laughs> done to, done I to mean, the rookies, was, but you never know. That was the thing. Like they've stopped doing a lot of that. Like they've kind of banned a lot of the options for rookie hazing. Yeah. Uh, but my, my, my kind of steadfast thing was Jason Beck heading down to Comerica Park to hang out with Paws and post some pictures on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. So the last thing I kind of thought we um, could get into just a bit is the um, the the idea that the league has to um, to make some adjustments to the baseball again. This time, mm-hmm. this time overtly making changes to the baseball rather than perhaps just hapless mistakes or uh, or some production change or who knows what what went on to um, to lower the seams and tighten the 
tighten the cover and all that kind of thing that has led to a little bit more of a flighty ball and uh, a, a big jump in home runs over the past four or five years. And the league has announced that they're, they've, you know, I, they say they're doing this. Um, so I guess we'll, we'll see if they've got it figured out, but they've, you know, done a lot of testing and have supposedly taken, you know, a, a couple feet of flight out of the baseball um, by making it, you know, just, just a slightly looser cover, I think. And maybe the seams will be just a little bit higher and not pulled quite so, so tight. Um, you know, they've got all the, the pressure testing and the, the bounce factor, the core, all that kind of, all those measurements that they do to kind of, you know, test the, the reboundability of the baseball. Um, and, you know, they're trying to take a little bit back out of it, but you know, is this what baseball wants? Like, is this what you want as a, as a fan is, is less home runs? Um, because, <laughs> because to me, what this seems to be doing is possibly increasing strikeouts by making the ball a little bit lighter and, and maybe, you know, raising the seams a little bit, which would, would make it bite the air a little more um, when pitchers spin it. Um, so it could be a problem on that score. And then, yeah, you're only going to be turning home runs into, you know, deep fly balls, which, you know, no one likes deep fly balls. Like that's not anyone's favorite kind of out. And you're also, you know, potentially giving up some home runs to do it. Um, we all, isn't it, is there even any doubt that what everyone really wants from baseball is to see more speed, more defense, more balls in play. Like everyone wants that. And I don't understand how this is, I, is going to get them anywhere closer to it. I want to see guys hit balls real far, uh, preferably out, yeah. out of the, the field. Would be ideal. Yeah, I don't want like, to sacrifice most... Dinger. No, I think the most <laughs> exciting stuff that happened last year was the Slam Diego Padres. Like, let's be real here. Uh, yeah. Have a have a grand slam every single game. That's what baseball would be way more fun. <laughs> yeah, um, not for the pitchers, maybe, but <laughs> right, right. But if you're gonna uh, take, you know, if you're gonna change something, like getting, you know, less home runs is not the way to go. Like, what everyone would like to see if there's gonna be a change is a little bit less strikeouts and a little more balls in play. Um, a little bit more speed on the bases and, you know, a little bit more room for, for contact hitters, I think, um, and defensive specialists, that sort of thing. You know, whenever I talk to someone, and I, and I don't talk to a whole lot of people from Europe, but whenever I do, um, and I'm thinking specifically of my cousin, um, who her husband is English, um, and some of his friends who've, who've kind of gotten into the sport, like whenever they watch the game, the thing that, that attracts them the most is, yes, the power, but also... You know, those plays where, you know, the bang-bang defensive plays, like diving plays in the outfield, mm-hmm. um, you know, you know, hitters kind of flaring a liner down the, the first or third baseline and trying to turn it into a double. Like, those those are the kind of plays that, to a casual observer, like, that's, that's what's exciting about baseball. Um, it's not, you know, dorks like myself who, you know, are like, oh, my God, did you see the seam-shifted wake on that freaking two-seamer? <laughs> you know, that's, you know, I can get into all the minutiae like that. But, you know, for, for most people, like, yeah, they want to see a speed game and they want to see a little bit more of, like, the athleticism on display. And, you know, and we want to do that and we, want, and we still want dingers. Like, yep, don't yep. take our precious dingers to make this happen. Give me crazy catches and, like, insanely athletic plays and then give me balls that leave the park. Yep, there it is. Just massive home runs, and that's what I want from baseball. There it is. Yeah, which which brings me to um, the idea that I keep pushing everywhere, which is that rather than like tinkering with the equipment and the baseball every couple years, because we've you know we've already seen like some of the changes in the baseball that like for a season suddenly produce like a huge outbreak of blisters, or you know all these pitchers suddenly just get abused because the you know the ball is flying different and they have to like you know adjust the way they pitch you know over the course of that year and then the ball is a little different again the next year and you have to keep adjusting to it like keep the ball the same what i want is for baseball parks to go back to more of an old fashioned style where the outfields are just bigger like if you if you smoke a baseball on a line and barrel it up it's still going to go out but if you had more room in the corners um, if center fields were a little more comerica park sized more balls would drop in, you know, defense would be a little bit more of a premium in the outfield, or at least like speedy mm-hmm. defenders. And yeah, and you just give a little bit more room for kind of the slap and dash hitter to, um, to, to you know, kind of have a role in the game again, um, which they, for the most part, don't, you know, <laughs> like those are the 26 men on the bench now. You don't, you don't see uh, slappy, fast leadoff hitters anymore. And, you know, I'm not trying to be overly nostalgic for all that because I, I like power as well, but it would be nice to see a, a few more of that type of player, um, you know, have a regular role in the game again. And yeah, I just think like, just make the field bigger. Um, 
you know, why not? You know, no one's no one's filling up the stadiums anymore anyway. You know, no one's no one's getting fifty thousand people in yeah. you know, May and June really. Um, you know, there's room out there. And then the other half of that is that because we're all protected now by netting down both first and third baseline, can we please bring the the, the seats closer to the field again? <laughs> oh yeah, man! If the protection's out there, why not? Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's let's get a little closer to the nets. Let's you know. Yeah enjoy the game a little bit more yeah i want to i want to be looming over these people we had a hilarious <laughs> we had a hilarious get, just, get a net burn on your face when somebody yeah. hits a real little slicer down the line yeah we got silly with it in the slack channel with all the other uh the other team sites because uh, yeah i mean the suggestion you know by the end of it i was i was joking that i wanted to be hung in a bouncy like a child's bouncy chair from the <laughs> ceiling of the trap with a whole bunch of snacks and beer up there and just be able to like look down through a clear thing and um yeah our our, our boy uh cody who uh but yeah he wanted you know atm type you know vacuum tubes and the players would just kind of like thoom, you know through them and be delivered to the field that way <laughs> yes, I I was like this is amazing i love that idea we, we need more fun like that uh, it'll be ridiculous i mean just you know bullpen cars for all yeah bullpen cars fire. Yeah, with uh, fire fire coming out of the back of them, and <laughs> you know more more mascots on on Gritty's level that can get out there and, and wreak a little havoc, you know. I mean, truly, let's just have it so that Gritty is the mascot for a different team uh, every couple weeks. Yeah, he, d- <laughs> he just like parachutes into the stadium beforehand. You don't know he's going to be there, and then yeah, every week a different team. I like it. I think that that's really how we solve baseball's watchability problems. Yeah, I mean, you could have Gritty, like, take each, you know, individual mascot hostage for a couple days, you know, like, Paws would oh be, you know, t- tied up in the Tiger's dugout while Gritty's out there doing his thing. Sure. Oh, do you like a, like a, a foreign exchange <laughs> thing? So, like, Paws heads over to, to manage some hockey games in Philly, and we get Gritty for a little bit. I love it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, a little bit of uh, exchange student yeah. mascot yeah. action. I like it. Into it. Gritty for all. Or we could do, like, the Sesame Street thing that's been going around really viral <laughs> with all the bigger oh, yeah. cousins and just have like slightly different colored gritties for every single team oh yeah yeah color-coded gritties yeah, i like it just like something that kind of matches a little bit with the, the local team flavor and and go that way, go that way. <laughs> yep. gritty for all uh, i love it yep well I we think the next time that we, we... can't wrap up, Brandon. Oh, I yeah. know you were joking, but now I need to talk to you about this ridiculous, uh, what was it, Black Beauty or Black Italian oh, oh, the... thing we were talking <laughs> about today in the Slack that is the most insane thing I've ever heard in my life. Oh, yeah, we do. We're gonna have, we have to have our, our little moment of culture at the end here. Yeah, I was just, um, we were talking about the Wizard of Oz books, and... It's just funny how, and the, I think the Alice in Wonderland books are kind of the same, where like people are familiar with the first one, and then they don't realize that the series goes on and on as far as the books are concerned, and in many cases get just weirder and weirder, which um, which is not necessarily easy to do when you start off with Wizard of Oz or Alice in Wonderland, but um, but the Wizard of Oz series just gets crazier and crazier um, book by book, and I think there's like seven of them, but the example I brought up. Um, is is the Black Stallion books, and m- most people probably have some familiarity with that story. Um, there's a kid on a on a steamer in I think like 1938 or something. Yeah, it's like and, a shipwreck you know, situation, ship- right? So it's him and the yeah, horse. yep. This Arab sheik has this you know super valuable like the most you know like magnificent you know epic bloodlined you know horse of all time, and yeah, he and the kid end up on this island after a shipwreck and form this bond. The kid manages to get the horse back to America, and he becomes a you know champion racehorse because he's the fastest, you know, most you know durable, best endurance, you know, most competitive, fiery horse of all time, and that's the Black Stallion. And um, and most of that series like kind of goes you know goes along pretty reasonably, you know, like the Black Stallion is racing, and you know Alex, the kid, and the trainer you know, kind of start their own thing and they've got a bunch of horses now and they become famous in the horse racing world and it goes on and on like that. And then in the final couple couple books, it takes the weirdest turn ever. And the fi- I think the second to last book is The Black Stallion's Ghost. And um, that's set in the Everglades where there's this weird like voodoo priest character <laughs> who lures Alex down there with the Black Stallion so that he can breed the Black Stallion to this filly that he has. And it's super creepy and, and um, you know, kind of a weird little, like, horror story that suddenly, like, 
this this wholesome you know kid in the black stallion story just dovetails into and then the final one the black stallion legend just goes even crazier where um th- there's a tragedy in the kid's life and he and he takes the black stallion puts him in his trailer and drives from new york to like you know the arizona desert somewhere in navajo land and um you know it's basically just like totally you know overwrought because his girlfriend dies and he's a mess and um you know turns the horse loose into the desert and the horse has all these like in- adventures of his own and there's like this peyote cult that tries to um to tries to kidnap the kid <laughs> and then there's this prophecy um, you know, I can't remember which Native American nation this this is all supposed to be, you know, tied to um, in whatever appropriated fashion. But um, but yeah, like the Black Stallion is like the becomes the harbinger of the apocalypse. And, you know, there's this gigantic, you know, earthquake on the West Coast that raises cities by the end of this book. And and I and I read this when I was like eleven, you know, like I had gotten into you know these these cool kids books, and I was having like my you know my horse girl phase, and um, <laughs> totally into it. And yeah, by the end of it, it was like you know it was like I was listening to uh, the Doors, the End, you know, on acid, and like what in the name of God is going on here? And it's just it's just funny how yeah a, a series of books like that that was you know started off like this kids you know these kids novels and this this fun story. Um, dovetailed into this absolutely surreal last couple of books there's also a parallel series of books that he wrote called the island stallion and by the end of that one there are aliens helping this kid get this other magnificent stallion who happens to be read off this um, caribbean island uh, in their spacecraft to go to a horse race in nassau and win it (laughs) sorry there are 24 of these books yeah, I mean, it just, uh, yeah, it, it was, uh, it was absolutely crazy, and I, and I read like an absolute madman um, when I was a oh, kid, you know. I was, uh, yeah, I mean, I, we were the type of people that came out of the library with twenty books, you know, every week or two, and um, yeah, I tore through all these kind of weird series and read way, you know, way over my head, oh, yeah. read stuff I probably shouldn't have read, you know, didn't understand, thought I was super precocious, and then later on was like, oh wait a minute, I read that when I was that age, like what? Oh, that's so like my yeah. Coons when I was eleven, like she's like, oh yeah, enjoy. Like, oh yeah, because we would read. I should not have been reading that. Uh, Yeah, I stole. You know, I stole a bunch of my mom's romance novels. You know, like I mean, I read like these men's adventure series about the Navy SEALs that you know had some crazy sex scene in every single one of them. Like this Navy SEAL lieutenant would meet some bombshell brunette in some foreign land, and they'd end up hooking up, and it was super graphic. I was reading that when I was like ten too. Like, you know, not not even sure what the heck's going on. So, yep, you we know, were reading is great. <laughs> exactly. You know, you're, you're, the the readers are precocious, but if you have a child like this in your life, yes, you might um you might want to look late in the series of books they're reading and see where it actually ends up. Because <laughs> yeah, that black stallion thing is just crazy. I know, I, I just know it because every time I start to tell people about those last couple books, everybody just looks at me like, no way. Like, there's no way that that is where that that well, series ends up going. I was looking at the series list, and that isn't even how the series ends. There's, like, nine books after that. Oh, yeah. Well, and then he, he did, like, the young... It was, like, a young Black Stallion. Yeah. Was, yeah, there were some other spinoffs. But the, but that original set ends with the Black Stallion legend. And, uh, yeah. Woo! That was quite a book. Quite a book. Yeah. Really, uh, really did a number on uh, young Brandon's head, I'll tell you that. <laughs> Speaking of books, <laughs> have you read anything good lately? You know, I just got the 2021 Baseball Prospectus um, Annual, which I'm super stoked about. So I've started reading that. Um, the last thing I read was a, a novel about this crazy, um, oh, God, what's his name? It's been a couple weeks now, and I can't remember his name. This book is called um, Enemy of All Mankind um, by Stephen Johnson. And it's sort of about this manhunt for this um, this pirate named Henry Avery. Um, and they don't hmm. even actually know his, his, his real name, but he was born in England um, in the 1700s. And you know, initially kind of started out as like a, you know, a British, you know, just a British naval guy, you know, or like a merchant guy. And uh, yeah, just turned himself into this crazy pirate. And that, that was a, that was a wild story. Absolutely. Yes. But, uh, but yeah, I've kind of been reading mostly, mostly history the last two weeks. I haven't really read, I haven't actually like found like a great new novel in quite some time that's really blown me away. So how about Very yourself? Good. Anything, anything um, I'm reading Agatha Christie's Death on the Nile right now. Um, which I've somehow never read before. 
Uh, so I'm very excited to see what the twist is, though. I normally never guess the twists in Agatha Christie, but I have I have a notion on this one. Um, so I'm curious to see if I'm right, although I'm disappointed because they delayed the movie version by a year. It was supposed to come out last year for the new like Kenneth Branagh one that follows um, Murder oh. on the Orient Express. Yeah. But I'm super bummed because I was I would have watched the heck out of it last year. But now I realize that Army Hammer is in it. Oh. And no, thank you. Uh, so yeah. very frustrated there because it's a really cool cast. Um, and then I'm also reading a book called How to Do Nothing by Jenny O'Dell, um, which is all about kind of disconnecting yourself from what she calls the attention economy oh, yeah. uh, of our current society. And um, it's been pretty interesting so far. So I've been reading those two, although I will confess and a million people will stop listening to our podcast after this. I have. I have the new Twilight book out from the library. <laughs> um, I know it's going to be bad. I read that series. And it's like, I know, it, like a lot of people do. I'm of this opinion that in life, I can't actively make fun of and insult things if I've not experienced them myself. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, I feel um, that, I so feel like that I way can't, as well. I, because you know that people out there are just going to be like, are you going to make fun of it? Have you even read it? And then if I haven't, I can't do it. Um, so I've read all of the Twilight books. I, I read the first one twice. Like, I hate them, but they're also comfort food. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, um, and you just kind of roar. Yeah, you can just roar through one of those books. Exactly. They're they're nothing. I mean, a bad um, bad book is a lot better than than bad television or a bad movie to me. Like, I'm, I'm not at that point anywhere where I can Mystery Science Theater 3000 something, you know, where I, I watch something bad and, and enjoy it for that. You know, I know you guys are doing the um, the bad baseball movie podcast. I, I would struggle. No. <laughs> I would struggle with that, I'm sure. Because I it's just feel like a, I can't waste my time on this. It's a bit of a challenge. Um, but I mean, the, we watched Fever Pitch this week. And that's actually a fun, like, baseball rom-com. So I was not mad about it. Oh, yeah. Um, but I got I got John Krakauer's Into Thin Air um, oh, on my yeah. list to read soon, which I haven't read. I've only read Into the Wild. And um, that was great. Like, yeah. He's a great storyteller. And I really am fascinated by um, deaths on Everest. Oh, yeah. Like, deeply fascinated by accidents. And I, I know it's a terrible thing to, like, bask in, in people's tragedy. But, I mean, I'm also a huge true crime fan. So yeah. I mean, tragedy is, you know, uh, I mean, tragedy has been attracting everyone since Sophocles and before. So, you know, that's just the way it is. Yeah, I mean... We're not relishing to look at a car accident when we go by like you want to know. Um, so but I'm just fascinated by Everest. I think it's amazing that people will go there willingly and like put their lives at risk just to climb to the top of a mountain. Yeah. And like I've always wanted to hike to Everest base camp. Like I don't want to hike the mountain. I want to go and do the trek up there and stop at base camp and say I've been there. That's on my, my bucket list. Yeah, that would, that would um, be amazing. Yeah, you're it's still like twenty thousand feet up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You have to like acclimate. You have to fly in. Like it's a very specific and dem- I've I've read tons about it because I'm a I really want to go. Um, that's but... funny because that's another thing that I'm I've been just you know I've never climbed a mountain in my life and I don't really even ski. Um, but I've been obsessed with um, Mount Everest and mountain climbing since I was a kid. And yeah, I've read tons of mountaineering books. Uh, Into Thin Air is really good. You're gonna you're gonna dig it. Um, yeah, but it also super- led to a whole bunch of other ones. Um, no Way Down. Um, is about K2, um, which oh. is even gnarlier a mountain. And um, that that's another really good one. Oh, and, and I just thought, like, the other thing that... Um, I've been rereading, like, a bunch of the baseball books of, of recent years. Like, I've been... I reread Big Data Baseball. I've been rereading um, the, the Scout book from Longenhagen and Kylie McDaniel. I reread The Cubs Way um, this winter. So I've been going through all, all the classics nice. here of the last couple of years. But I also read this book, um, Poisoner in Chief, which is about Sidney Gottlieb, who was... Um, he was a, I, uh, what kind of scientist was he? He was like, um, he was like a, into biogenetics, I think like a, a, in the beginning and like studying crops and, and all that sort of stuff. But he became the CIA's like, um, he was like the, the mastermind of the program to use LSD and other psychedelics to, um, as, as sort of like truth serums or oh, to, yeah, yeah. to program people. And his story has never really been yeah, told. The... Um, po- it's called Poisoner in Chief by, um, Stephen Kinzer. What's that? What is that? Um, the MK Ultra program. That program, yeah, MK Ultra. Thank you. That's what it yes. was. Yes. Yep. And that, and there, yeah, and, and there were other ones, I guess, that were less, you know, that maybe have never really been declassified. But yeah, I mean, they had, you know, I mean, they were testing things out without telling people, like just dosing American citizens um, and mm-hmm. around the world, um, taking, 
you know, prisoners um, in black sites in Japan and, you know, in the Middle East and stuff like that. And just, you know, just grossly experimenting on all these people to see what all this stuff could do. Um, and that's uh, that's been a, a very fascinating, if depressing book <laughs> to read because he was just, you know, like like so many of those guys are. He was just like this waspy, like, well, this is just my profession, you know, like, you know, I had this like total you know, wall between, you know, what he was actually doing and what he was like in his real life, where he was sort of like this hippie ecology guy who lived out in the woods and, you know, was pursuing this naturalist lifestyle. But, uh, but that, but that somehow became his job um, during the early Cold War when the paranoia was so thick that they were willing to try just about anything out of fear of what the Soviets might be concocting and brain controlling everyone with. So yeah, Poisoner in Chief, um, a pretty interesting little slice of uh, early Cold War history and definitely a uh, a dark chapter. <laughs> so, yeah, but that's been, that was a really good uh, really good read, um, really really well written. Uh, just added that to my list because that sounds fascinating. Yeah, it was pretty good. So, um, so far I've, this winter, I've avoided my usual habit of reading a whole bunch of like my favorite like super depressing authors like Dostoevsky and Carmack, uh, Cormac McCarthy. I end up reading Cormac McCarthy's. Uh, like Western novels, like just about every winter. And by the end of it, I'm, I'm really ready to just like, you know, just throw it all away and just wander out into the <laughs> wilderness until I drop dead. <laughs> but they're just so well written. They're so rich and like grand in a way that, uh, yeah, he's just a, just a genius writer. But woo, it's a bleak, bleak vision of humanity, I'll tell you. What's not yeah, bleak no is the fact that we are almost near baseball, which is what this is all about. So close. Yeah. So by the next time uh, we are coming to all of your ears, um, there, there will be baseball. There will be camp stuff going on. We probably won't be quite to Grapefruit League yet, but um, hopefully in the meantime, the Tigers can pick up another pitcher or two and at least sort of fortify the situation. Um, they're obviously not going to make any big moves. I think they've... They've basically made that clear um, at this point, but they've done a decent job putting together some interesting pieces. And at least that will give us, I think, a, an interesting you know season to watch how A.J. Hinch, Chris Fetter, Scott Coolbaugh, kind of to watch how the new coaching staff sort of uses players, um, you know, what kind of success they, they have as far as um, kind of maximizing this roster. So it should be an, um, an interesting season on that score. And obviously watching the prospects come up and, and keeping a close eye on the farm system will be a big part of what we do as well. Um, you can look for our top 30 prospect list to be dropping either tomorrow or over the weekend. And the prospect reports on all those guys will start running out next week. So all that coverage will be kicking in. And then, yeah, we'll hopefully be in Lakeland and um, getting a whole bunch of cool fun content coming out of that and um not too far after that we should have baseball thank god baseball hey about time yes absolutely all right everyone have a great day um thanks for joining us tonight and ashley we'll talk to you later see you later